Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and joining us today is Devendra Hardwar. I am the news captain now. <laughs> Jeff Kanata. I'm always grateful to be here, but today I've got particularly sincere Hanks. Mm, and also mm. joining us today, he is the editor-in-chief of Formerly Dangerous, a very cool newsletter, Drew McWeenie. How, uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, as always, formerly dangerous and deeply confused. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So, Drew, you uh, you are somebody who, uh, as as your newsletter title indicates, was formerly dangerous, um, but now you are apparently slightly less dangerous these days. Um, you're writing a newsletter, uh, which I read fairly religiously. Tell us about it. Uh, it is my my chance to try to reclaim how I write about movies because um, I did it for a website, uh, two websites for 20 years. And in doing so, went through a lot of evolution of the way the online film conversation worked and and saw it sort of uh, come come to a really great place and then saw it get co-opted, my opinion, and really got frustrated by it. And so the newsletter format allows me to just write directly for the people that are interested. Um, I do some freebies a couple of times a month, but for the most part, everything I write is for subscribers. And being behind that paywall uh, really kind of set me free, both format-wise, and uh, I don't have to worry about um, clickbait at all. Like I really am not chasing a Google placement or anything else. I don't. That stuff just isn't important to me. Um, I figure if you're going to come and read. You're coming to read the newsletter as a whole, and then I'm just offering you the stuff that's, I think, urgent or important or interesting at that moment. Um, and part of what I've been trying to do is really push people to shift the timeline on the conversation, um, because I think we spend so much energy talking about films before they are released and very, very little energy talking about them the moment people can actually see them and share them. Yeah, this is something that Jeff Kanata had brought up recently about how uh, – Jeff, we were, we were talking about The Last of Us Part Two. you know, this mm -hmm. uh, video game that had spent like years in the making, thousands and thousands of person hours put in to make this game. And then, you know, someone like me plays through it in the opening weekend and we talk about it and then it's over, right? And uh, I think, you know, when I read your work, Drew, like you want to be more thoughtful about like, hey, uh, oftentimes our thoughts on a film have not crystallized until months years decades after we've seen it right and that's kind of something that you're trying to encourage is like revisiting films rethinking them like evaluating them in new contexts yes yeah and and i think also just just waiting until everybody can be part of the conversation to really have the conversation i think yeah. that's we've gotten so used to this this idea that the conversation is when we the media says it is but we are working on the marketing timetable which is always in advance of when people are watching stuff and I feel very strongly that we've got it backwards. We're doing the the wrong work. I really feel like the conversation begins once everybody sees something. And then that water cooler moment is something that organically I was chasing when I first started writing online. You know, the stuff that got me interested about in about writing online wasn't, oh, I want to talk about things early. That was a little bit of it. Um, but it was more, I signed on to news groups back in like 95, 96 and saw people talking about, is Deckard a replicant? And I was like, oh my God, I found my people. I found a place to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. 
And that was what I was interested in was the long tail of conversation and the fact that, you know, there's stuff that you can chew on for a long time. There's stuff that as soon as you see it, you're done with it. Teflon movies that slide off of us. And I think that's worth talking about, too. But really, I just I want to re reformat when we talk about things, just push it the other direction. Well, you can check out Drew's newsletter, Formerly Dangerous, at drewmcweeny.substack.com. Uh, I subscribe to a number of Substacks. I believe in paying for uh, the, the, the work I want to read and consume. Uh, and Drew's is one of those Substacks that I subscribe to. And I'll just say, Drew, that uh, yours is one of the Substacks. Of all the Substacks, I subscribe to, I don't know, maybe four or five, six Substacks. Um, yours is the one where I really feel like I'm getting my money's worth. <laughs> and oh, what God. I mean by that is like every one is like a mini novel. Every every entry is like a mini novel. And throwing shade uh, on every other subscription <laughs> that he's paying for right now. I, 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 yeah. I get I get a lot of value out of all of them, but I'm just saying, you know, wow, Drew, Drew's really like over delivering, you know, in terms of uh, what he needs to put out. So that's a relief um, to hear because that is one of my biggest phobias is that somebody's you know subscribes, pays the money, which is seven bucks a month. It's not a lot. Um, but I feel like I want to make sure that for that seven bucks a month, you're like, wow, okay, all right, I got something for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, my only bummer was you you were writing a multi, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but you're writing a multi-part series on Star Wars. And I read this incredible art thing you wrote about Rise of Skywalker. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is amazing. And then I get to the end and you're like, to be continued. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, and I had to wait like weeks until the second part. I'm like, dude, Man. where's the where's the second part of the takedown of Rise of Skywalker, Drew? Anyway, uh, check it out. It's at drewmcweeny.substack.com. We really appreciate you joining us today for our episode today uh, of the Slash Homecast. We're going to be discussing some what we've been watching. Uh, we got some weekly plugs, and we're going to conclude with an in-depth review of uh, News of the World, the new Paul Greengrass film directed by Tom Hanks. It's available for rent right now. On video on demand. That's how we all watched it. Or you said some directed of us by it. Tom Hanks. Oh, I'm sorry. It is directed, directed by, by Paul Greengrass, Green. starring Tom Hanks. Yeah. I apologize. Thanks for correcting that, Jeff. Sure. Um, and uh, for the after dark, we're going to be discussing. Well, you know, I'll tell you what we, we're going to be discussing the after dark in a moment. Um, but before we get to any of that, uh, the last episode of the podcast we recorded, gentlemen, I think was during the Trump administration, right? Um, yes. So we are the last now, night of it. In fact, I think <laughs> the last the eve of the Trump administration. Just wanted to do a quick check in. Uh, did you guys watch the uh, the inauguration? Like, what was your experience of that? Oh, yeah. Drew, I think you 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 took the day off and, from watching things, which is very understandable. Yeah, um, absolutely. But Jeff uh, Devendra, did you guys watch uh, yeah. any of the inauguration? I watched. I mean, I watched a bunch of it. It was just sort of like. First of all, it was a really well-produced thing, right? But I was just yeah. watching it because I do feel like collectively as a country, we were like, oh my God, I cannot believe we survived this. Let us just celebrate. Let's have every like every big musical star. Let's just like really get out there. Tom Hanks was there, guys. And I think when we were talking about this too, like ahead of the election, I was like, you know, if Tom Hanks would just came out and was like, hey, every, just vote for Joe Biden. The entire country probably would. Um, I figure I figure his thing, his celebrity thing, right, is like he just doesn't want to be that, I don't know, one-sided or something. But it was very nice to see him hosting uh, with no coat, looking like a tuxedoed ninja. And um, I don't know it was just really heartening. That whole day was a big – there was a lot going on that day for me personally too. But that was a major thing to just sit through and watch. It was like a huge national sigh of relief, and I really appreciated that. And uh, yeah, it was nice. It was nice to be able to like breathe for once. Yeah. Jeff, your experience of it? I was way more emotional than I thought I would be, honestly. Uh, I thought it was going to feel 
I thought it was going to be a show and I thought I was yeah, going to feel yeah. like a nice relief, but I was really moved by so much of it. Um, the complete sentences were <laughs> incredible. <laughs> uh, yeah. Empathy the, for other human beings. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, the, the lovely poem that yeah. was written Am- by that, Amanda Gorman's, uh, she poem. is, yeah. yes, uh, 22 years old and, and eloquent and amazing. Um, but so much of it, I, so many people, I mean, Amy, Amy Klobuchar was, sure. uh, I was like, I'm stirred by Amy Klobuchar. Yeah. <laughs> soccer mom in full like prep mode. Like she was doing her thing, like just keeping yeah. the show running. I kind of appreciate yeah. that. We should talk about the Amanda Gorman poem though, because I do feel like that was like a rare moment, right? Where if you were watching this event live, holy shit, it did feel like the entire country was like, oh yeah, this is what I've been missing. This feeling of hope. And, you know, something, something more than just like the, the hatred and meanness and whatever was in the last administration. So that was a wonderful collective experience and seeing everybody talk about it on Twitter and everything like that. It was great to participate in that. And And the moment, go ahead, Jeff. Mm -hmm. No, please continue. Well, I was just going to say, I think like the, the country really uh, embraced it. This is a person who no one knew about a week ago. And she went from 5,000 Twitter followers to 1.4 million in the last uh, week. Uh, so I think, like, it, for good reason. You know, uh, she did, did a brilliant job. And uh, it's, a, it's a reminder of, like, what we're fighting for and what, uh, what the future looks like. Yeah, and, it's, uh, and in, a, in a very inspiring tale, she's now quitting poetry and becoming a full-time influencer. So <laughs> is that is that true? I can't tell. No, no, I'm yeah, joking. Okay. God, I hope I'm joking. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, with 1.4 million followers, she can monetize that shit. Yeah, there's no money in poetry. She's got to go for the uh, you know the MLMs She's advertising get and stuff that like that. TikTok started up, baby. <laughs> That's the scary thing is satire has been dead for four years, so it's like yeah. scary to actually be able to make jokes and have them be jokes again. And you're like, yes, oh, okay, right. that's not. Re- reality good okay <laughs> yeah right that does seem implausible and there are there are things that are actually implausible yeah oh good <laughs> yeah i agree with davindra i thought that the production values were really high and especially given the day was very unusual you know mm-hmm. what i mean because mm-hmm. uh typically by the way like in, in a normal inauguration people can just you don't need tickets or anything unless you're going to one of the galas or you can just wander in um but obviously everything had to be very heavily controlled um, so it was done at great cost, right? In terms of both money and in terms of people's time, the National Guard and so on. Uh, dude but, who, the dude who wiped down the podium after every speaker. Right, right. I mean, yeah. these, these uh, things don't come cheap, you know? Yeah. It was great. Uh, also, by the way, another great moment. Garth Brooks coming out there after his after his thing. He just runs up and fucking hugs everybody. Hugs every <laughs> important person in the U.S. government. Yeah. Garth Brooks, what are you doing? I was shouting at my TV. Yeah. <laughs> I also read this very fascinating article about how they pulled off some of the big events. And I don't know if you guys watched the fireworks at night. Did any of you see the fireworks show at, at no. the end of the day? Uh, it happened after the, the Tom Hanks hosted part, right? Like uh, right after they did this, they had Katy Perry singing firework and there were fireworks going off in the background. It was very uh, literal. It's called synergy. It, it's called symbolism, mm-hmm. uh, symbology. And so they had these fireworks going off and the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, this is a lot of fireworks. You know, like this is, <laughs> it's because, because you're, you know, I've watched a lot of fireworks shows in my life and yeah. you, you think you get the cadence of fireworks. So I read an article about the fireworks and basically what happened was 
Uh, first of all, it was apparently a logistical nightmare to trans uh, to transport hundreds of pounds of explosives into DC uh, under yeah, you know yeah. heavy guard. Uh, so what? like j- yeah. just getting the the fireworks into the area was apparently a huge deal. Yeah, and then they were supposed to spread out the fireworks <laughs> over more uh more song performances right i they think, were supposed I think to, like, just finding a person a purveyor of fireworks <laughs> that doesn't have a maga hat is probably a challenge <laughs> yeah and oh, so, man. way way to rile up the fireworks contingent jeff like you don't want yeah. those people mad at you you guys aren't right doing now. any fireworks ads at all now. yeah That's it. yeah thanks jeff we, thanks. We, now we're gonna get the big fireworks after us you know yeah so then uh Apparently, the fireworks show was supposed to play during multiple songs, right? Like, there were supposed to be multiple performances that the fireworks were supposed to be spread out over. It was supposed to be, like, you know, many, many minutes, like, tens of minutes. And uh, it just kept not working. Like, they kept having to, like, not... A lot of these acts kept dropping out because they didn't want to travel. It was too logistically complicated. So they ended up compressing... Yeah. All those fireworks into Katy Perry's firework. Yeah. Fuck it. Big fireworks. <laughs> that's so baller. Yeah. I love so it. That's now why I have to looked... go watch it. Yeah. yeah. We're not I mean, going to not looked... set these off. <laughs> what are we supposed to not explode this shit? Come on. Well, it's also like there's the one canonical song you're going to set them off to is firework, yeah. right? Like right. you can't, you can't yeah. swap that in for another song. Thank God right? Katy Perry didn't drop out, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. She's like the, 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 the lodestar of the whole thing. Yeah, the linchpin <laughs> yeah. of the whole thing. Oh, somebody's so, singing fireworks. I don't care if it's yeah. Joe Biden. Someone's <laughs> singing fireworks. <laughs> yeah. Get Garden yeah. Brooks out there. He'll sing it. Um, I, uh, Drew, the, I believe the song is Firework, by the way. So just let's... Oh, let's you, not, are, you are correct. Let's get our facts correct on the Slice Home Guest. Very important. Um, so uh, anyway, I'm glad you guys had a great experience watching the show. Um, I, I, I was like kind of on the edge of my seat the whole time because yeah. I was like worried. I was like, is something bad going to happen during this thing? Yeah, um, yeah. But and, like every time Kamala and Joe were in the same location, I'm like, shouldn't they be in separate locations? You know, um, where is Gerard but, Butler right now? I just need to make sure he's around. <laughs> to keep everybody yeah. But fortunately, nothing bad happened. And everything, I mean, that day. I mean, can you believe that as we're recording this, it was... It's been less than three weeks since the assault of the Capitol. Doesn't that feel yeah. like an eternity yeah. ago? Somebody anyway. somebody pointed out like the three Thursdays that happened, yes. like the yeah. election, the assault Trump. on the Capitol, the inauguration. It was like, yeah. what? Trump what? impeached. Yeah, it's it's yeah. been a it's, oh, yeah, been a, yeah. it's been an extremely eventful uh, last few weeks. So I loved that moment in the inauguration, in that in that ceremony or the event, whatever you want to call it. The uh, that when uh, Lady Gaga was singing and she she said, uh, you know, and the, and the flag was still there and she literally pointed back to the Capitol. It just felt so powerful, uh, a, a notion of like, yeah, that fucking building right there was under assault just yeah. days ago. And the flag is still there is it's just insane that that's that's a thing. It's not it's not, an, you know, and it's not old timey lyrics of a f- far gone event in our history it was like a few days ago that that's important and relevant yeah yeah um and you know i was originally feeling like why are they doing this outside at all like it would be safer if they did all this from an undisclosed location but i do think there was a lot of value in the symbolism of like it happening on the same place where all those terrible things happened on january 6th you know like just seeing the visual was nice so anyway that's our some thoughts on the inauguration. It was lovely to see. It was purifying, and um, I think like Jeff, you've been commenting on how like uh, the world feels a little different now 
feels a little bit, yeah, my, uh, little bit less my, stressful now. My iPhone has informed me that my screen time is down 25%. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's, because that's, you're, that's not the, just, you're not looking for like, is World War III happening? Yeah, you're not doom scrolling. Like several times that's a day. the yeah, Biden yeah. effect. Yeah. yeah. Indeed, indeed. Okay. Well, let's get to what we've been watching. Uh, let's do one quick uh, thing I've been watching, and then, and then uh, we'll take a break and then move on to more. Um, but let me ask you guys a question. I have a question for you guys, okay? Um, I, I'm going to ask you, we, we collectively on this podcast have reviewed thousands of movies, Right, like talked about thousands of movies, reviewed thousands of movies, watched thousands of movies. If you had to think about like all the people in those movies, what is a common word you would use to describe those people in the like the characters in the movies? Just shoot out some words that are indicative of all the people in those movies that we've watched. Anything? Hmm. (laughs) I don't think I understand the question, but like, like, okay, we we've watched thousands of movies. They have hundreds of thousands of characters in them. Like, what's what are things that unite all those characters? What's what's something they all have in common? Heroic, heroic. Okay, great. Heroic, charismatic, charismatic. Okay, here's here's a word uh, that I would use to describe them: hinged. Hinged. (laughs) You see, they're all hinged. uh, Sure. Um, Okay. But 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 I watched this movie this week called Unhinged. That asks the question, <laughs> what if you had a character that was unhinged? Mm, that's never happened before in a movie. You thought, yeah. you thought perhaps by throwing that out to the group that we would come back with hinged. You thought that that's uh, what we would... Yeah, that was, I would, thought that would literally be your first response. Yes. It would be like, oh, 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 obviously thousands of movies. The only thing that unites all those characters is how the, hinged how they hinged, have been. How hinged they are. I mean, that's yeah. a word that people use to describe people so much, right? No, so, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, that makes yeah. total I mean, sense. I, I, I heard it like five times Is today. it hinged.com? Yeah. It, is it hinged.com? It's a great, a great website. I agree completely. Yeah. Okay. And it's almost so, always yes. <laughs> you go there, almost it's, always it's yes. It's thousands almost of movies. yes. In it's fact, also just, but, one but, would but, wonder but, why they even made that website at all because it's always <laughs> yes. But I think question. it's because they knew it was coming and they made a meal of unhinged. <laughs> that, that week was big. <laughs> it was all it was all a setup for that. Oh, the, the the question yes. that the movie Unhinged asks is, what if someone was not hinged? Right, mm. like that's that is the fundamental question at the, the center of this movie. And uh, so Unhinged is is a movie. This is actually one of the few movies that was released in theaters this uh, past year. Like, um, I don't know if you guys recall, but like around the time that New Mutants and Tenet was coming out, like Unhinged came out in the theaters. The most unhinged part of this movie. Yeah. Is releasing it to an incredibly (laughs) dangerous time. And they wanted to be the first film back. They they really made a big point. We're the first ones in theaters. Yes. Yes. So this movie stars Russell Crowe. Uh, he is, by the way, the guy who's not hinged. I just want to point mm. that out. Um, he is the guy without hinge. and The titular uh, <laughs> unhinged character. The titular unhinged, that's correct. If, if that's I'm what, not mistaken, his character is John Unhinged, correct? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's correct. In the very tradition very, very of the right. Liam Neeson films where he's always like John Taken. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. John Taken. Yeah. He's John Unknown in that movie, I yes, believe. Um, exactly. So uh, the movie opens... I'm just going to describe what happens in the opening scene. Uh, But the movie opens with Russell Crowe sitting outside this guy's house. He's really angry. He's like eating a lot of pills, super pissed. And he just go, he like walks to the front door, busts the door down, and then just straight up murders this guy and his wife, like in the house, like no explanation what's happening right there. And, and literally burns the house down. Uh, Cut to a completely different family that we've never met. And it's you're like going through their life. I'm just like, what the fuck is happening? Like, 
who is the main character in this movie? Anyway, point of the movie is uh, Russell Crowe is, as I pointed out, lacking of hinge. And he uh, ends up getting cut off in traffic by someone. This Uh person, this other family that we meet. Yeah. Another situation never filmed before. You know? I don't know if you guys have had this happen before. Have you guys had the situation where like you cut someone off in traffic or you beep at them? Yeah. And then yeah. at the next light, they pull up like right next to you, you know? Oh, yes. Mm. Like it's yeah. really uncomfortable, right? So anyway, that happens in this movie and they have this confrontation and Russell Crowe's like, I'm going to ruin this person's life. Yeah. <laughs> and that that is what the movie's about. Yeah. It's It's Russell Crowe just being... A character. I think I'm going to become unhinged. Yes, he's devoid of hinge. Yeah, and just goes on a rampage. This movie, I think, is delightful trash. Uh, It is a lot of fun watching Russell Crowe just completely go literally insane. Like he's it's basically just a South Park gag, right? Like that's that's what it sounds like. It's it's yeah. It it is odd that it is Russell Crowe playing this person, right? Like because Russell Crowe, not known for having great self control of the temper, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yes, he he plays the unhinged guy, and um, the movie is, I believe, from the start to when credits roll, eighty-one minutes, and you get to watch Russell Crowe go nuts. And uh, I think it's a lot of fun. It is ridiculous. It's over the top, uh, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Drew, it sounds like you've watched this movie as well. Uh, right? I have. I have seen this film, um, and uh, it's kind. It's Russell Crowe. Leaning into Russell Crowe the way that Mandy is Nick Cage leaning into Nick Cage. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a great example. Great oh, example. why are you casting? Oh, you're casting me for that? Well, fuck it, let's go. Sure. And I feel <laughs> like it's, it is so ridiculously over the top on his part. And he has gone full Brando in this movie. And by full Brando, I mean brando sized i mean late era brando russell crowe looks like he ate russell crowe um (laughs) it's it's pretty amazing he's big yeah yeah Yeah. and it makes him genuinely intimidating i would not want to be uh beaten senseless by those ham-sized fists of his now so um yeah way to go russ yeah so if any of that interests you uh, you should check out Unhinged, which I bought for $6 when it was on sale by accident, I think, <laughs> shortly after it was released on video on demand. Tripped and fell and landed on the buy button? How's that work? Well, I, I, I'm saying it was on sale for, like, it, I don't think it was supposed to be sold for $6. Oh, but I it see. was like, it was, a, it was a glitch in the Matrix, and I you got were like, it. Uh, mm, yeah. So, no, you no. purposefully bought it because Even it was the uh, price yeah. is unhinged. <laughs> Indeed. That's the movie Unhinged. That's one of the things. I have been watching this week. It's time to tell you about our sponsor, Majuri. I am so glad that I know about this. Why? Because I got some real good points from my wife. (laughs) I got her a ring from Majuri. Majuri makes fine jewelry for every day. And that is that really describes my wife's sensibilities to a T. She doesn't wear a lot of excessive jewelry, but she does like lovely handcrafted, beautiful pieces of jewelry that she can wear every day. And Missouri is fairly priced. It is handcrafted. It is ethically sourced and made to last. It doesn't have the traditional markups that you find elsewhere. I got her this lovely ring that she absolutely adores. Uh, It's 14 karat gold. And since I got it for her, she has worn it every single day. 
every single day. Now, nothing could make me happier than giving my wife a gift that she likes that much. Even better, even better, she goes, hey, uh, where did you get this? And I told her about the sponsorship of the Slash Filmcast. And she goes, do they? Ha- do you have a promo code I can use? And I said, why? And she said, well, I want to order a few more and I want to tell my sisters about it. So the good news is we do have a promo code that can save you 10% off your first order. And Valentine's Day is right around the corner. So why not get a great gift that'll long outlive chocolates or flowers from a small token to a grand gesture, you can shop one of their six curated Valentine's Day gift guides that'll allow you to wow your loved one with some beautiful jewelry. You know, traditional jewelers launch seasonal releases. Missouri drops new products every Monday of the year, so there's always something new to check out. With Valentine's Day, you're going to want to look. So visit Missouri.com slash filmcast for 10% off your first order. That's Missouri.com slash filmcast for 10% off your first order. M-E-J-U-R-I dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. All right. Uh, another thing I've been watching this week is uh, something we have all been watching this week. Uh, we watched a Hulu show called In and of Itself or Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself. We are going to discuss this show in detail in the After Dark this week. Before we get to that, uh, I, I think we all had a pretty interesting experience watching the show. So I just want to get like quick reflections from y'all. Should people watch this? What are some adjectives you'd use to describe your experience watching this? Drew McWeeny, I think you saw this, right? Uh, I did. I would say absolutely listen to what they say at the beginning and turn your phone off. Give it mm. your full attention and read nothing. Yes. Read nothing during the show, read nothing about the show prior read to the show. Read nothing about yeah. the show prior to the show. Like yeah. that's yeah. if you if you don't know what it is and you're not going to listen to After Dark, then yeah, just walk in as cold as you can. Yeah. 100%. Uh, uh Jeff, I know you love it. Devere, I'm curious. You 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 watch this at our insistence, uh, and I'm curious what you like your overall thoughts. Is this something you'd recommend to people? Oh yeah, most definitely. And actually, I had heard about the show while I was in New York because a lot of people were talking about it as like a unique sort yeah. of uh, one man thing. So it was something it's, I didn't need a, to it's watch a for a while. Version of a stage yeah. show, basically, is what yeah. this is. Yeah, and directed by Frank Oz, which I also I will watch anything Frank Oz makes. I love that man. Um, so yeah, yeah, it is definitely worth watching. And yeah, probably don't read anything about it. Don't do anything to spoil yourself before that. Yeah. Jeff, any closing thoughts on this? I mean, a hundred percent. I'm just going to underscore what everybody has said so far. And uh, I, on Twitter, I said, you know, if you've ever trusted me before on anything, trust me on this. Watch <laughs> wow. this. Watch Staking this. Staking the whole reputation on this. hundred percent. Yeah. All right. It. it, it I. Yeah. It is. Uh, it's one of my favorite things ever. <laughs> it's, wow. it's that. It's that. I, yeah. I, I. I absolutely adore it. Okay. Um, well, I'm looking forward to diving into it with you guys. I, I, I'm just going to say, I, I also recommend it. Like, I think you should definitely watch it. It's very provocative. I think I'm a little bit more mixed than you guys on this. But we'll we'll talk about it during the After Dark. Either way, I have no issue recommending people watch this thing. It is really interesting. Uh, it's a really well done uh, version of a stage show. Check it out. Again, the uh, thing we're talking about is Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself. It's available right now on Hulu. Drew McQueenie. Yes. Tell us what you've been watching this week. Um, well, I am a big fan of um, Spanish filmmaker Alex de la Iglesia. 
And I feel like he's a guy who's never really like broken here in the U.S., um, but he continues to turn out incredible work has been, and has been doing it for, so for a long time. Uh, right now on HBO Max, they are airing a horror series that he is the director and co-writer of, and it's written with his screenwriter who he's been working with forever. Um, it's a horror series. And uh, I've also recently been watching Evil, the thing that was on CBS last year. And that's kind of scratching the uh, X-Files itch. But 30 it's on coins, Netflix now, I believe, right? Yeah. Right. Evil is on it, Netflix now, yeah. Evil yeah, is and, fantastic, by the way. Just extra, extra shadow. I love that show and everything the Kings do. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of fun. And a friend of mine poked me and poked me and poked me until I started watching it. And uh, and he's correct. It's really good, and I'm enjoying it thoroughly. But um, this is – 30 Coins is – Full out crazy horror um, about a an exorcist who is exiled to a small town in Spain, and the first week he's in town, a cow gives birth to a human baby, and things go south from there. And the thirty <laughs> coins that they're talking about, the opening credits make it explicit what they are. It's the thirty coins that were paid to Judas, mm. and uh, in some way, those coins are still bouncing around and. Sure enough, in the first episode, one of those coins is very important. Um, you're used to horror that does, especially TV horror that does the slow burn. 30 Coins pretends it's going to do that for about 20 minutes of the f- of the pilot, and the pilot's an hour <laughs> and a half. And uh, the rest of the pilot is completely insane. If it was a standalone movie, it would have been my favorite horror film last year. Sold. Um, wow. Yeah. All but right. if, but All as right. the opening of a series, oh my god, what are you doing? It's crazy. So <laughs> thirty coins is nuts. I can't recommend it enough. All right, that's thirty coins available on HBO Max. I saw, you know, I, I open the HBO Max sometimes. I check up, see what's there. I saw this show. I was like, what is this? I've never heard of this. Glad to have your recommendation of it now. Though. I love so. this filmmaker. And guys, if you don't know his work, please go find eight hundred balas or eight hundred bullets. It's a um, it's a movie that he made with the same writer, and he uses he's one of these guys who uses the same cast over and over. And Eight Hundred Bullets is one of those towns that was built in Spain for the good, the bad, and the ugly, the all these spaghetti westerns um, is still there. And the people that were extras have kept it open as a tourist attraction, and now they're like all in their sixties. And the government wants to shut it down, and they stage a siege with the ammunition and the guns that they have, and they're like, "You're not taking our western town from us." Mm-hmm. It's oh, this is a documentary. Guy, true, a, uh, yeah, I was gonna say, is this a documentary or a true story? What are you referring true, to right now? No, it's a, it's <laughs> a, a, it, a fiction. It's story. a movie. It's another movie he made. It's fiction, but it's oh uh-huh. my god! And those towns really exist. A lot of those towns are still tourist attractions, and mm. they're they're staffed by the people that were background extras in those movies who have made their livelihoods for thirty years just living in these western towns. And so, it is a beautiful movie about movies and about living in a fantasy and about not wanting to let go of it. And nobody saw it when he came out here, and they should have. It should have been a huge hit. Like it's a. Great, I remember great he uh, he did witching and bitching, which is yes. a fantastic, fun, <clears throat> fun as hell horror like comedy type thing. So yeah, yeah. I will watch I, it. Across Thank the you. board, I would say check him out. But if Thirty Coins is your introduction to him, I'm envious because there's so much more to explore. All right, that's Thirty Coins on HBO Max. Drew, what else have you been watching this week? Um, I. Uh, I'm very late to the game. I didn't go to a theater. I didn't try to go to a theater uh, for Tenet when they did release it uh, last year. I waited for home release. And then I saw it by myself. Really wasn't sure what I thought of it. I had a very mixed reaction to the movie and showed it and got it in 4K. 
Um, and we just got a 4K set for the first time in the house. And so I'm really, ex- you know, anything in 4K, I'll watch more than once probably right now. Um, and the boys wanted to see it. And Toshi's 15. He's at the point where Nolan is right in his wheelhouse and he's super curious about him. And he's seen about two thirds of his work. And so he wanted to see it and he just saw Black Klansman. So he's a huge fan of of Washington right now. And uh, it was an interesting second viewing. I still don't know what I think of the movie. It, I'm <laughs> confounded by it. And watching it with them, my younger son uh, at the end of it stood up and said, quite bluntly, I enjoyed watching that and I got maybe 5%. It was <laughs> pretty much just buzzes and clicks, Pop. Yeah. yeah. I was like, okay, cool. I, <laughs> I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And uh, I think Toshi enjoyed it more than that. I think for him, it was the movie star charisma. And that's the thing that definitely works in it. Watching it twice, there's no question that Robert Pattinson and and uh, John David Washington together, they're really terrific. There's a great chemistry between them. Um, I think the script to the film is bananas, just bananas. And and it feels to me like um, very much like when... Uh, um, uh, Oh God, Fifth Element. Um, the director of Luke Fifth Besson? Element, Besson, Luke Besson. Yeah. When Luke Besson finally made Valerian and said, "Look, I've been wanting to make this since I was fourteen years old, and here it is." And you watch it, and you go, "Yep, that looks like a movie that a guy dreamed up at fourteen, and then never <laughs> quite took any." To me, Tenet feels like a movie that Christopher Nolan's been chewing on forever. And he goes, "What's going to happen is I'm going to make the movie, and then I'm going to make half the movie, and I'm going to fold the movie in half, and I'm going to go <laughs> backwards through the whole movie, and it's going to be <laughs> fucking awesome." And then he's, that's what it is, but I don't know if I think it's fucking awesome. I think it's, I think it's a lot of work to make this thing happen that he's trying to make happen. And maybe the least successful of his pure exercise driven films, but it's, it's certainly got me to watch it twice. And there's not many things this year that I felt like immediately. All right. I got to take another look. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Did you get the, uh, the disc drew? Uh, Yes. Okay, good. So yeah, you got the, the yeah increasing the aspect ratio. The, the, the aspect nice ratio changes when you have the physical media. Yeah. So yes, uh, highly yeah. recommended. Highly recommended. Yeah, and and you know, like I said, it's it's technically it's fascinating, and uh, there's no question that he is a robot um, who has a brain that is doing its own yeah. thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a strange experience. Um, I don't know. Time will time will be very interesting to see what happens with that film. I don't even think pop culture really had a chance to digest it because of the way the release yeah, was handled. Yeah. I, I honestly like we were talking about this during our review, but if what they're going to re-release that in IMAX, like once things are safe, and I do feel like that is going to completely reassess how I feel about that movie because right, it is well, pure think, spectacle. I think you're right about IMAX. I think what IMAX is probably going to do is there's probably going to be about six films that IMAX feels. Mm-hmm. urgently they need to put into IMAX theaters right after this because that'll get people back. And there'll be the giant spectacle ones. It'll be that one. It'll be Bond. It'll be a few others. Uh, yeah, uh, I am looking forward to going back to the theater to check out some IMAX movies. Um, yeah. I think it'll be, and, oh, it'll be great. By the way, AMC probably not fully dead. They got some funding. They got money. <laughs> they got, yeah, they they got, got enough thing. money to carry Cash them through flow. the summer right in time for a bunch of movies to get delayed until the fall. Uh, <laughs> biggest delay this week, I think, was uh, No Time to Die, right? No Time to Die has been delayed Everything's October now. Time. Yeah. And I think they're all claiming the same weekend in October. I've heard like five films already say October 23rd or whatever the weekend is. And yeah, okay, D- sure. 
I, <laughs> if we're going to go, let's go to all of them at once. Why not? Yeah, yeah. No time to no die. No time to oh. die, of course. Also, the new motto for AMC. You know, they're just... Mm. Nice. Uh, October eighth, twenty twenty one is no time to die. So uh, looking looking forward to it. Curious, like uh, how well it's going to do because it might yeah, be one of the yeah. first movies that comes out after uh, the pandemic is like kind of on the decline. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, okay, so that's what Drew has been watching this week. Uh, let's go to Devinder Hardware. Devinder, what have you watched this week? Yeah, just quickly, I want to talk a bit about Disenchantment, which is the you know, the Mac Braining series that's on Netflix. They just launched season three or part three, as it is. And I watched the first episode, and I, I don't think I'm going to watch the show anymore. It's just, <laughs> it is Devendra. This is yeah. this is this is harsh because yeah, Devendra, like I, I find to be a fairly com- uh, a f- fairly forgiving human. When it comes I, to I know. Shows. I know when to walk away. I've talked about this when it comes to like, uh, was it Noah Howley work? Like, yeah. I, I I know when I just cannot be a part of whatever they're doing anymore. I watched these past two seasons of Disenchantment like on and off. Um, it was kind of a background show for me. And it's perfectly fine. It's just really funny how they're going for like a very complex, almost like Game of Thrones like mythology with everything happening. Like, it is a very plot heavy show, but it's not funny. It's not inter- like it's not interesting. It's not really engaging, and I just don't know what I'm doing with my time here. So it, this is the point where I'm going to tap out of the show. I wish it were better because I like I like everything Matt Groening touches basically, and it has a great voice cast. Um, you know, there's a lot that should be good about this. Uh, like Matt Berry is in this, John DiMaggio's in this, Eric Andre, a- Abby Jacobson. Like I love all these people, but it is just not for me but it's kind of fun to see matt berry as a talking pig i guess yeah it's important to know when to tap out on a show i think yeah yeah like i i feel i i don't do it on many shows but i do it occasionally like you're watching something you're like i get it i'm done there's <laughs> yep. so much more yeah. there's so much more you're I got wasting other my life yeah. right now yeah yeah yeah. Uh, well, that is disenchantment. I'm sorry it has not uh, enchanted you. That is disenchantment. Yeah. That is disenchantment. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is literally disenchantment. What we just heard just now. Yeah. yeah. It succeeded. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's what Devendra has been watching. How about you, Jeff Kanata? What have you been watching this week? Well, Dave, I heard you guys talking about Unhinged and Thirty Coins, and and I feel like I want to participate in the uh, oh my gosh that's bonkers discussion. So I have a uh, I have a, a a a exhibit for the for the court, uh, and mine is a, a movie called PG Psycho Gorman. Um, I've, have anybody heard of this movie? I see. I've seen the art yes. in the iTunes store. I've yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So th- I think th- you would probably. Uh, not think that I would click play on this one. Uh, yeah, I was, I, l- let me yeah. just say, look at looking at this. I'm like, huh. This is this <laughs> is literally everything Jeff has hated that we've reviewed. Yeah. So please go on. Yeah, I was in a mood. I was in a mood, and uh, you know, friend of the show, and and uh, my my friend, I would I would say, uh, Patrick Klepek tweeted about this movie, and it uh, made me uh, made me curious. Uh, so I went with uh, Klepek's, uh, he's, a, he's a big horror fan. I'm not a huge yeah. horror fan. And he, he's a big fan of campy, fun yes. things. Yeah, yeah. This is very campy and fun. The, yeah. So uh, Psycho Gorman is uh, a movie that is brand new, but made to look like it was made in the 80s. Um, I, I guess, I don't know if anybody has uh, coined the term nostalgia. 
but if not, I just did. Um, it's, it feels <laughs> it's it's nostalgia, and you know, I grew up in the eighties. I love loved watching all these uh, crazy over the top. You know, it's like Toxic Avenger or any of those. You know, pre CG. Everything's practical. Everything is people in suits and and heavy makeup effects and all that stuff. That is the aesthetic of this movie. Any kind of uh, visual effect is, I don't know how they accomplished it. It's probably done with computers, but it's made to look like it's an optical effect in that old 80s style. Uh, But most of this movie is done in camera. Most of this movie is, you know, it's a broad, big, goofy, over-the-top gore fest. I mean, Psycho Goreman is the title. So, you know, it is about this, this, the ultimate demon from beyond the world that it has been trapped on earth and two plucky kids uh, find it, uncover it and release it into the world. But in doing so, they also find this gemstone that lets them control it. So basically they've got a pet world's worst demon. You know, they have, they have this super powerful thing that can like behead something by just grabbing your head and pulling up on it, you know, and he does this, grabbing heads, ripping them out of, uh, out of their socket. And it's that old style, like, you know, blood gushing everywhere, fake heads, uh, very practical, you know, lots of, lots of silicone. (laughs) And it's very, uh, very old school and, and done very purposefully that way. And it doesn't take itself seriously at all. I had a good time watching this. I mean, I, I don't think it's as good as it could have been. Um, it, it, there's just some strange decisions that the like main young girl, the, the, she's written like she's this utter bully and she's this small diminutive thing. And they're trying to play, uh, you know, that this like adorable looking little girl can be uh, brash and, and over the top and, and intimidate everybody. And so she is never even remotely affected by this horrible demon thing. She's always like, ah, I got him. It doesn't really work. But uh, but the movie, if you're into that kind of thing, I had a great time watching it. I, it's, it's goofy. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's like a brisk 90 minutes. And, uh, you know, it the, the sheer volume of practical effects in it. And if you're into makeup effects and, you know, elaborate rubber costumes and, and stuff like that, you get your money's worth for this movie. You you are rewarded because it, uh, by the end, there are dozens of these incredible creations and you just don't see that anymore. You don't, you don't see that kind of artistry really. It's, you know, these, these, these creations that I grew up with, these practical, you know, suits uh, of monsters and uh, it's done very, very well. And, you know, the, the movie is goofy and doesn't always work, but I had a good time watching it. All right. That's Psycho Goreman. Did you, you rented this right on video demand, I assume? No, it's on. Uh, oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Six yeah. bucks. It was six yeah. bucks on uh, something. Voodoo yeah. or nice. something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, very glad you enjoyed this, Jeff. Just have to say. Yeah. That's fun. I was in a mood. I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch this. I'm just going to kind of shut my brain up yeah. and have a good time. That, that's it's, kind of, you know, I did the same thing with Unhinged this week. I did the exact We're in a thing. new, <laughs> new time. I was in the, the mood for this. The new smooth brain you know? period of America. <laughs> yeah. We just I can want watch this now. no wrinkles. No wrinkles yeah. right now. <laughs> uh, Drew McQueenie, Psycho Gorman. Is this something that appeals to you? 
Yeah, I, I have it uh, actually in a playlist, and I, I plan to watch it at some point this week or next weekend. But um, yeah, I think it looks funny and ridiculous, and I'll certainly give it a shot. All right. Well, those are the things that we have been watching this week. Hey, everyone. Something I've learned over this winter is that it's uh, kind of tough to be trapped at home with my two cats, especially with their litter. Normal clay litter gets really smelly and dusty, and it just tracks everywhere. Then I found Pretty Litter, which practically solves all those issues. Its ultra-absorbent crystals can trap odor instantly and last up to a month. I don't have to go in every day and scoop up huge chunks of clay. I just clean up the poop and spread the litter around. And best of all, it just doesn't really smell that bad. Pretty Litter is also safer for your cat and your household because it doesn't have those irritants that could make it bad for your allergies or asthma, something that clay litter definitely has. I also appreciate the fact that Pretty Litter arrives right at my door in a small lightweight box. Shipping is free. I don't have to worry about trucking to the store and dragging huge containers of litter home. Even though I'm living in the burbs now with a car, it's still really annoying to get 40-pound bags of litter, haul it to my trunk, and bring it home. And one really unique and useful feature is that Pretty Litter can change colors to help you detect potential illnesses in your cat, which is really useful for urinary tract infections and kidney issues. Cats aren't very good about telling you when they're not feeling well, so it's really helpful to be able to get at least some sign when something is up. So do what I did and make the switch to Pretty Litter today. Get 20% off your first order by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code FILMCAST. That's prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST for 20% off. prettylitter.com, promo code FILMCAST. Let's get to Weekly Plugs. Weekly plugs are part of the show each week where we plug something we've been creating, something we've been in, uh, something we recommend. Uh, I will start with a weekly plug. Recently, I appeared on a podcast called Screen Drafts. This is a podcast that Drew McWeeny has been on as well, right? I love this podcast. Yeah. Uh, as well as Jeff Kanata. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's basically where people collaborate to create best of lists. I was honored to be Dan Trachtenberg's guest on the Screen Drafts podcast, where we collaborated uh, to come up with the top seven John Woo films of all time, which required me to buy lots of DVDs that are out of print on eBay for John Woo <laughs> and uh, and watch them and talk about them with Dan Trachtenberg. And uh, I- I'll just say this um, to recommend the podcast. It almost destroyed my friendship with Dan. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just. Uh, that's a, just that's what we call in the business a tease. Yes, yes. So if you want to hear us argue vociferously over John Woo movies, uh, check out the Screen Drafts podcast episode featuring me and Dan Trackenberg. It was a lot of fun, and uh, also Drew McWeeny and Jeff Kanata have been former guests as well. So you can check out their episodes. What was as well. what was your topic, Drew? Uh, I've been on a couple of times. I did a live episode about John Carpenter that mm. ended horribly. Uh, it was it was a bloodbath. Just oh my god! Um, did Cronenberg and felt better about it. Although uh, certainly I got called names, and um, then just did one with Alan Sepinwall, and uh, we did TV adaptations. Oh, fun! Nice. Yeah, yeah. That I, I listened to that one to kind of study up on uh, on how the show worked. And, oh, that was uh, good because I felt like that was the first one where I played the game, where I actually. Mm, yeah. 
I had been on a couple of times, so I'd had a little bit of experience and I felt like I played the game because Alan had never been on and didn't know what he was doing and I railroaded him and it was terrific. <laughs> so yeah, it was just the yeah. best. You <laughs> you did something that, uh, you pulled a Christopher Nolan on that episode and what I mean by that is the rules had just been established and you basically almost subverted them instantly. Yes. Uh, in that you, 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 uh, you threatened to veto one of your own choices. I did veto one of my own choices. Yeah. Bold move. Bold move, Drew. Bold move. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Screen Drops Podcast. Check it out. Drew McQueenie, tell us a weekly plug from you. Um, Well, I I am now doing, as you mentioned, um, a weekly Star Wars uh, column as part of the newsletter. Um, And I resisted for a while. I've written about Star Wars for... 25 years and I have uh I have seen a lot of Star Wars fandom come and go and you know I I uh felt really disconnected from Star Wars fandom for a while um because I just think it got really toxic and it got really uh ugly and there was a lot about it I just wanted no part of and so I just stopped writing about the series entirely um and I still watch it I watch it with my kids and I watch it for fun and you know, the first one came out when I was seven. It is literally in my DNA. I could not turn off the way I feel about Star Wars. It is not a necessarily even objective. It is just part of the foundation of what I love. So it's my favorite fictional universe. Um, but going back to writing about it, um, right now I'm still just breaking down Rise of Skywalker because I waited a year. I didn't write a word about the film for a year. Um, and it's the first Star Wars film I just didn't review. And I couldn't, I didn't even know how to write about it. Uh, I really hated it and it's never, (laughs) never happened to me. It's never happened to me that I, and I didn't want to turn into that dude. I didn't want to just contribute to that toxic, horrible. So I, I took a year and I really thought about it and I watched it a couple of times and I watched it with my kids and I talked, my son, uh, my older son is the biggest Star Wars freak I know. And at this point, I can honestly say is a bigger Star Wars nerd than I am. He has watched more of the tar- television stuff. He has absorbed more of it um, and knows more of the character connections and the character backstories. And like he is way more connected to it and more in the way I was when I was his age, when I was 14, 15 years old. So I get it. And I think that's great. I'm glad that he's having that experience. I It took me a while to figure out how to write about it again. And The Mandalorian really helped. Um, so I will get past the Star Wars that I'm writing about, which is not just going to be Rise of Skywalker. It's also going to be, um, the stuff that almost happened in the series and the production problems that I think they had in place from day one. And I'm going to really pull that apart. And then once I get done with that, then I'm finally going to really write about the larger stuff they're doing, which includes, I've read all the High Republic stuff and, you know, I, 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 I can see the game plan. I'm curious to see how it lands. All right. Uh, well, you can check that out at Drew's newsletter, formerly Dangerous. Uh, we'll link to everything in the show notes. Jeff Kanata, I'm curious. Have you caught up with Mandalorian yet? Are you? Is it? No, is it on the? I have it's, it's on the pile of things you got to. It get is to, on yeah. the pile. It is on the pile. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, Jeff, I, I'm glad we didn't wait for you to do that Mandalorian well, season two review. Then I would have. <laughs> I would have. But you know, it's funny. I, I think Drew's been talking about this all episode. Really, it, it, is you, there's this sort of cresting wave that happens, but once you allow that wave to pass and you don't have to surf it, you can sort of 
if the pressure is off and you sort of you know, nobody's talking about it. So I go, okay, well, there's more pressing things to watch and it keeps getting pushed down the pile a bit. Uh, but I do, I do intend to finish that out and form an opinion. Uh, yeah, I was curious how far you're going to take that wave analogy. You know, like uh, yeah, and then you it don't crashes to, on the beach. And, you don't you know, need, to, you like don't need the, to surf it anymore. You can kind of like uh, you know, full body paddleboard it later on, yeah. like relaxing. Um, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's you got to be yeah. careful. You know, because the undertow will pull you right back out into it, and then you don't uh, get caught in a, in a rip current. You know, yeah. um, uh, what is, is that? What it's called? Those things that that bring you out to sea. Riptide, Rip something, Riptide, yeah, yeah. something yeah, like that. Man, don't get me started about all the, Rip you know, all the stingrays yeah. in there, all the uh, jellyfish. You got to shuffle your feet. Okay, I don't even know what those are supposed to be in the analogy. Th Jeff. This analogy got real weird, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, Devendra Hardware. Let's talk about your weekly plug. Uh, I read a bit about something happening this week. The Sundance Film Festival is kicking off, and it's virtual, like every other film festival for the past year. Uh, but they're doing something pretty cool. They built out a full VR experience that is both uh, shared. So you can visit it in a VR headset, but also through your web browser. And, you know, there's room to like have chats with people, like have a cocktail with people after you watch one of the screenings. There's a virtual screening room. And it's also where you can see their new frontier exhibits. And those are like their VR mixed reality type things that, uh, you know, I've never been to Sundance, but I do cover those types of things uh, for shows that were in New York. So like at the New York Film Festival and Tribeca. Um, so, yeah, we'll be I'll be taking a look at some of those at Engadget. And you can read my preview of the experience over there now. It's called the Sundance Film Festival Makes a Giant Leap into VR. I think it's pretty cool. It's a cool experience. Um, I had a chat with the uh, the programmer uh, who's been like working on New Frontier for a while. And it seems like a really interesting way to do a virtual film festival and i hope they like keep aspects of this uh once you know sundance is back in full gear because uh i'm sure a lot of people want to be able to see some of these things and especially the vr exhibits i don't know how much attention they actually get at real sundance you know like everyone's right. there for the movies so this is at least a smart way to open it up to a broader audience and make the it show itself a little more accessible so i appreciate that let, let's, now, let's how realistic a Sundance yeah. experience is it? Like, do you have to wait for an hour and a half in the cold before you can start the VR? <laughs> there is none of that. And I, I've mentioned like all the horror stories I've heard from everybody who's visited. Uh, that's a show I've always wanted to go, but Sundance is like literally two weeks after CES. And I just, I literally, I just cannot, my body cannot take that anymore. Um, but hopefully, you know, eventually things will be safe and they'll kick back up again. I, I have incredibly fond memories of Sundance, going to Sundance. Mm -hmm. I went to Sundance twice, covered it. And I will say it was physically very brutal because, yeah. uh, especially because I was living in Boston at the time. So you're going back, uh, you know, the, the time zone is different. You're watching movies through mid like through midnight movies like mo movies that begin at midnight so it's like yeah theoretically movies that begin at 3 a.m eastern time and then you're needing to write about them or produce content about all of them uh and so and it's meanwhile it's like cold and slippery and yeah so sounds it's just like, like fun sounds like so much but fun. but yeah. at the same time drew how many times have you been to sunrise you've been to sunrise before 10 yeah. 11 at, at the same time it's like it is magical to be mm -hmm. one of the first people in the world watching something that you know people will be talking about for the rest of the year and possibly for many years to come. I have some really treasured um, Sundance memories, definitely. Yeah, and yeah. I I do think. Look, I agree with the, I, as the joke aside. I agree with what you say, Devender. I I think that the anything that can 
create an accessibility to an experience that is as inherently exclusive as Sundance is a good thing. I I like the the notion of what these virtual festivals are testing during this pandemic, which is how can you do that? How can you involve people from around the world who might otherwise never be able to attend or participate? And I think they've done a really job. I love the fact that there's captioning for every movie that's at Sundance this year, that that's one of the things they stepped up to do and guarantee is that any movie that plays the festival has to have captioning. And that's terrific. Like, I really think that commitment to making it more accessible should continue. I hope this is something that they learn from this moment that we're experiencing. Yeah, this is an interesting kind of side effect of the whole pandemic is like, uh, things like Zoom, you know, things like closed captioning, things like allowing people to see movies from home has really increased the accessibility of a lot of events, of a lot of uh, meetings and calls and stuff like that. And I, I do hope it's something that stays not just for Sundance, but like in general, you know, American workplaces. Um, I hope it's something that sticks around after the thing's over. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Kanata, let me ask you something about this. So, yeah. Devinger, it sounds like you overall had a had a good experience with this. I have, I've just tested it out. I have not seen like the full thing in action because there aren't like people visiting yet, but it, yeah. it's cool so far. Yeah. And actually, before I go to you, Jeff, Drew, have you done like VR stuff before or is it not your thing? Some, oh, I, I, like I'm an old, I'm, this is how old I am, guys. When I moved to Los Angeles in 1990, <laughs> yeah, um, I drove out here with my buddy and I didn't let us stop in LA. We had to drive up to the Bay Area so that I could meet Jaron Lanier who had an, yes, a little yes. office that was open at the time where he was doing just VR research. And he created this thing called a Tetra creature, which was just an early program where you could put it on and look at it. And there was a little thing that was alive. And I just, I wanted to shake his hand and meet him because I was so He's a legend. I, yeah, I thought it was going to be, I thought he was the beginning and it's, you know, it's amazing that we did, but, um, but yeah, so I love the potential of VR. I've always felt like, you know, they promise a little more than they deliver. I think we're starting to get there. I think we're we're making real inroads towards what we've been talking about for 30 years now. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so Je- Jeff Kanata, I want to ask you, right? Like uh, there are apps in, in Oculus Quest, right? Where you can watch a movie with your friends. You can kind of sit there, hang out in a virtual theater, and watch a movie with your friends. I know you play games like Half-Life Alex and other games like that on your, mm-hmm. on your uh, VR headsets. I don't hear you talk that much about like watching virtual movies with people. And I'm curious, like, is that something you do uh, or is there a reason you don't do it? I think the experience just isn't as crisp and um, you have much better screens uh, than. uh, Yeah. The the fidelity of the image just isn't there yet for me to sit down and watch a virtual movie screen. Um, I do enjoy very much uh, a lot of the content that Oculus and others are putting out there that is, you know, full Mm -hmm. 3d, 360 degree video the problem is the the delta in quality is great and you never know going in what you're going to get because there's a lot of stuff out there that even the quest for example will serve up to you uh, in its main menu and it's you know sort of like hey suggested content for you to check out that's just 360 degree video and not 3d right so i it's unfortunate that I think a lot of people that jump into Quest are like, oh, wow, yeah, let's watch let's that clar- amazing. Let's clarify what that is, though. Just so I'm about people to, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, like, for example, you know, there's a behind-the-scenes making of of uh, Mission Impossible Fallout that Oculus has readily available in their, in, in their, you know, for free in their store. 
uh, I guess it's not even in the store, but it's in the interface. And it's awesome. You, you're sitting right next to Tom Cruise as he's piloting the helicopter. You get to be there. There's a 360 camera uh, of him holding onto the rope underneath the helicopter in that sequence and f- making well, that cool. fall. Mm-hmm. It's, it's awesome, except... That's really cool. It's yeah. flat 360 degree video, right? So yeah. you don't get the optical effect of the world really appearing to be virtual. It's not virtual reality. It's just video that you can look around 360 degrees all around you. But I everywhere see. you look is flat. It it'd is be as like, if it'd it be is, like you're surrounded by like a spherical screen, basically, right? Like, yeah, there's it, it's yeah. seamless and it, it it's cool in that way and that everywhere in your periphery is the image, right? You're seeing the image all around you. It's as if you're standing inside the image, but what there's, there is 3D video. There is 3D virtual reality video right. that also has two different images, one in each eye, that create an effect where things actually appear right up close to your vision or far away, and things ha- appear to have volume and size. And that is a dramatically different experience in VR. And unfortunately, it's all just sort of thrown in the same bucket uh, on a lot of these uh, systems. And you never really know what you're going to get. And and I think it gives people a bad experience. But, you know, Oculus has done just the other night, for example, I was watching um, like there's a, a series that they did on the Tokyo DJ scene. Mm-hmm. And you go into these clubs in Tokyo, obviously it was shot well before COVID ever happened, but you know, you go into these nightclubs and you're it's standing with the DJ, there's laser lights, people dancing, and it's all 3D. It's all real true virtual reality. You can look around, you are stuck in one spot, right? It's where the camera is, right. was placed, but it does feel as if these are real, fully wow. three-dimensional people standing all around you. And that is really, really cool. Um, so yeah, those, those are dramatic and interesting. And, and I think that's kind of an undiscovered country for most people that don't really even understand that that's possible yet. Uh, and I think we're going to get to a place where that feels that they'll, that'll be realized in a way that'll be more accessible to people and more ubiquitous. We're not not there yet. It sounds like, yeah, yeah. that's what I think the, the movie theater virtual reality experiences are right now. Like there's big screen, which is one of them that I I get what they're doing, but you have to license their movie. Everybody has to rent the movie from them individually so that you can watch it together. It's not what I ultimately think the experience will end up being once we figure it out and somebody cracks it is I would love to be able to just invite somebody to, I can put on a movie from my digital library and then invite my six or eight friends to, pop in and watch it with me in something that feels like a real space. And that's obviously not ready yet. Like you can't really do that. And the screens aren't ready for that to, to work as a real way to watch stuff. But the idea, I get the idea. I get what people are chasing. And I think the companies that are on that path, I like, I think that's a cool idea if they can crack it. Well, let me tell you one other quick anecdote. Uh, lately the last few weeks, uh, I have, with a a few friends, been playing morning golf. And what we do is there's this this, uh, Oculus app called, I think it's called like Walkabout Golf. Yeah. It's fairly simplistic. It's very cartoony, but it's it's putt-putt mini golf that you can play with your friends. And we 
get together in the morning and we play an hour of putt-putt mini golf and we're all in the same virtual world and we're walking around. Ooh, you're shot. Oh, you didn't miss that one. I mean, it's as if we are in the same place at the same time, all playing putt-putt mini golf. Again, very abstracted, very cartoony, very simplistic. But if you can imagine where that is going, that idea of, oh, you know, my friend is in Austin, uh, another friend in San Francisco, I'm in Los Angeles, and we're all just standing on a virtual mini golf course, hanging out with each other, chatting. It's how we, you know, start our mornings sometimes. And it's, it's extraordinary. Now that, imagine that, but let's all hang out and watch a movie. And we have sort of virtual avatars in, in VR space so that we're sitting on a virtual couch next to each other and we can, you know, talk. I don't know if you want to talk during a movie, but if you, you know, it's, it's the hanging out that I think really will feel cool. I, I think the thing, like we're all, it's the road to AR glasses and like, you know, yeah. glasses that don't fully occlude everything that you're seeing. And there was a story about Apple potentially working on that too. So I think that like just being able to sit down, you're staring at a blank wall or something and then you hit your glasses and then you see a big full size, beautiful screen and you can still look around and see your friend's avatars and stuff like that seems like the best balance of where we need to be because I also don't yeah. think people want to sit with in the dark uh, with goggles over their heads for two hours because it's not yeah, super comfortable. No. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, check out Devendra's article about Sundance stepping into VR. I think you can hear from our conversation it's something we're all excited about, but it's not quite to the point where we're like, go yeah. do this now. Like it's not it's not quite at that point yet. I will say, by um, the way, if uh if for anybody who has a VR headset or a quest or quest two, um you can you can spend twenty five dollars and get the Sundance Explorer Pass and just go check out some of these sh- projects. I think that's worth it. That's cool. cool. All right. Jeff Canada. Your weekly plug. I wanted to mention my Cameo account, cameo.com slash Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Um, I offer limericks. Uh, you may have heard them on this show. And uh, there was a flurry of activity all around the holidays. I almost couldn't <laughs> keep up, uh, but that has waned. And so I wanted to mention it again and also point out Valentine's Day is coming and no- <laughs> nothing says I love you. Like a limerick. So uh, go head over there. It's been fun. Check out some of my reviews. People uh, are very enthusiastic about the product that they get. So uh, cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. I can personalize a message for you. Happy to do it. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Uh, Those are our weekly plugs for this week. Hey, it's time to talk about our sponsor, Netgear. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, your work, your gaming, your video calling, and more? What about all of those things all at once? Well, when you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, as we all are right now, you got to be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with the Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with unmatched speeds and performance for uninterrupted working and learning, video calling, and streaming at home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. With Wi-Fi this advanced, you're going to want it everywhere. Ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out what makes Netgear America's number one choice for Wi-Fi at netgear.com slash best Wi-Fi. That's netgear.com slash best Wi-Fi. Let's get to our review of News of the World. Ladies and gentlemen. My name is Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd, and I'm here tonight to bring the news from across this great world of ours. 
So they pay you to tell stories. I ain't never heard of that as a thing a man can do. It's not a rich man's occupation, as you can see. from the trailer for uh, News of the World, new film by director Paul Greengrass. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb, uh, IMDb. A Civil War veteran agrees to deliver a girl taken by the Kiowa people years ago to her aunt and uncle against her will. They travel hundreds of miles and face grave dangers as they search for a place that either can call home. So this is a movie that is uh, released by Universal right now. It definitely is a movie that feels like it's supposed to be out in theaters. It has great production values. It's always yeah. interesting to kind of watch a movie that like was intended for theaters and clearly was intended for theaters because like, uh, I mean, it, it's the line is getting more and more blurry with Netflix spending, you know, a hundred million dollars on some of their movies, but could, could you movie, see the difference between this and like Greyhound, right? Uh, like, a I little bit. Although that was also intended for uh theaters as well. Before it? Apple oh, yeah, TV yeah. Picked it up. Yeah. 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 But, uh, I mean, you know, this and like the primary instinct or something like that, you know what I'm saying? My movie, uh, the, 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 the difference is stark. Uh, and so I, it's, it looks great is what I'm trying to say. And, uh, it's, it's always nice to see a movie that kind of has the, the scope that we're used to from seeing in a movie theater. Um, let's start with Drew McWeeny, uh, your overall thoughts on news of the world. I think it is, it's funny because the, the first time I saw the trailer, it, there's certainly a true grit vibe to uh to the trailer uh-huh, and yeah. i don't think the movie totally disabuses me of that that initial impression um it definitely feels like somewhat familiar territory if you know your western history there's a little searchers in here there's a little bit of you know like i said true grit but i think it's i think it's an interesting moment that they choose to set it in i really like the collaboration between hanks and greengrass and i think that hanks has helped greengrass calm down in a way that he had to um, cause R- Greengrass was on a path to total <laughs> out of control lunacy as a filmmaker and green yeah. zone green zone is the moment where he pushes it as far as he can. And it's kind of like Oliver Stone and natural born killers. You just hit a stylistic wall where it's like, buddy, you can't cut frames any faster. You can't throw <laughs> any more visual information at me. You can't shake the camera any harder. You can't do any more to show me you're an abrasive, crazy edge i get it so it's cool point taken calm down and (laughs) it feels like with captain phillips he went all right cool and this is very much in that vein and i think it's i think it's solid i wasn't shocked or surprised by anything in it but i really enjoyed the chemistry between the two of them and i think tom hanks when you make a movie where you've got a big movie star and there's a kid who has to carry a lot of the weight of that movie, that movie yeah. star is basically co-directing that performance because yeah. it's such a trust exercise. And you're really depending on the movie star to help that kid shine. 
and to really be their best. And it's there's a lot of give in that. And Hanks is the best in the business at that. He knows exactly how to make a movie, how to make a co-star look good. And like in Road to Perdition, he really he does a lot of the lifting so that the kid can do great work. Yeah, I, I think I really felt that whole thing you were describing, the dynamic between Hanks and all these other actors. There's a lot of other actors who are like uh, lesser known actors than Tom Hanks in this movie, right? I mean, that describes all most of them humans. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say I would say like even more so than usual, like um, a lot of Tom Hanks movies involve lots of people being assholes to Tom Hanks, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's what like, you know, look at like Saving Private yeah. Ryan or in like this movie. It's just like these people are just treating him uh, they're they're being dicks to him, and uh, I I like that. First of all, he's great at playing the kind of person who's very put upon, um, and that's kind of the case in this movie as well. But he really allows these kind of side characters, these these character actors playing them, to have a really memorable moment. Like every single one of the like the guy he uh encounters at the front of that line at the town that they go to you know who's just like yep you got to wait for three months or you know gtfo and i'm just like wow like that's a nice little memorable role for this actor who i've never heard of um but you know it's completely plausible performance that he has with hanks and i like that he's able to elevate all the people that he's around so uh, helena zengel by the way is the the person who plays his co-star in this film yeah and she's uh she's great she's great so divinia hardware i mean we have had a pretty interesting relationship with Paul Greengrass. There was a time in our lives uh-huh. when Paul Greengrass could do no wrong, right? This is a guy who made United 93, Blood, Bloody Sunday, uh, two Bourne films uh, that were hugely successful. Green Zone, not great. I agree with you, Drew. Uh, and then kind of a mixed bag since then. Captain Phillips. The, the other Bourne movie, which we will never talk about. So yeah. <laughs> there is a fourth, there is a fourth born movie in the same way. There is a fourth Indiana Jones movie. You know right. what I mean? Like yeah. it's yeah. just not something you ever want to think about or discuss. And then, then he made 22 July, which I, I, I have never seen. I have not yeah. heard a lot of good things about it. Um, so kind of a mixed bag in the recent years. Curious to see if this is going to be a return to form. Devendra Hardwell, what would you think? Yeah. Well, let me just say, I love, I love Greengrass, like when he kind of came onto the scene, um, mainly with Born Supremacy. Like weirdly, the Born Identity was not a film I I ever really loved. I really enjoyed it at the time, but I remember seeing Born Supremacy, you know, with like my with my family in the theater, and just like the sheer kineticism of the filmmaking and like of his action. That taxi chase sits with me really deeply, right? Because it is so it is so wild and crazy and it ends at a point where like, I think for the first time I could feel the entire audience in the theater, just decide to breathe again. You know, like you could feel it. Like the tension was just loose. And I was like, man, this guy really is doing something cool and interesting. And then yeah, yeah his, his style was so distinctive that he became mm-hmm. like an adjectival director. Like yes. you would say like, it's a green grass esque, you know, movie or like, it's like directed like Paul Greengrass in the sense that ultra shaky cam. I think, you know, I listened to the commentaries for Born Supremacy all those years ago. And something that he said was like, the camera should feel like it's barely keeping up with what's happening yeah. on screen. Like you, mm-hmm. you should, it's, it's like, oh, we just love out and got that shot that's kind of like what his approach to the Bourne films was like oh we barely got that shot anyway go ahead mm-hmm. yeah i totally feel that and then yeah it's been kind of a mixed bag i do think captain phillips was a great reset for him and maybe because it was grounded by by hanks like we i, I love that movie i believe we reviewed it and generally we're pretty positive on it 
Um, this one just feels like it is a very, very solid Western. I'm kind of, um, I'm surprised by like how little new is in it, right? Like it feels, it feels like a direct descendant of the searchers. And I think I heard him on fresh air just talking about like daddy, John Ford and everything. Like it is, it is his like love of Westerns, you know, made real, I guess. So I think it's he, not it was postmodern kind of like, in any way. Yeah, no. that's yeah. yeah, that's what's that's what's unusual about it is everything now is through the filter of what new spinner and it's not a new spin. Yep, exactly, exactly. Like we we talked about uh, first cow last year, which is kind of an interesting way of doing a sort of western style story, except maybe a little more grounded and a little more realistic. Uh, overall, though, I really I enjoyed this movie. I was surprised, certainly that. It is not really a movie about much happening, you know, like it is a very straightforward story, but Helena Zengel is fantastic. Hanks is good. Uh, We were joking about Greyhound being like being a dad movie, right? And this feels like the daddiest of all the Tom Hanks dad movies, except for (laughs) Mm -hmm. maybe Road to Perdition, which is a goddamn masterpiece and we should talk about it more. Um, (laughs) You know, like this, this is him being peak dad, like uh, discovering things about him that he didn't realize. And I I really appreciated all that. yeah, and there's you know there there's one one little bit of an action scene which I do feel like was like oh this is this feels like a little bit of green grass like there, there's a bit of nice geography play here and it's staged really well so it just feels like a classic western and something I've missed for a very long time so I I dug it. Jeff Kanata. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about this film are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Interesting, interesting. All right, let's hear it. It's Tom Hanks as a man who appeals to America's classic ideals. Sure, you've seen it before in space and in war, but now there's horses and wagon wheels. <laughs> All right. Um, pretty pretty fun limerick, Jeff. I don't know that I really grasped how you feel about the movie, though. I just didn't think it... It's fine. The movie's yeah. fine. It's no Greyhound, I'd, right? Yeah. Y- yeah, I loved Greyhound. Yeah, as you guys I know. know. I, I loved it. Um, I just felt like, the, I, why, why did we make this? <laughs> I, I don't feel like it. I, I mean, it is mm-hmm. entirely predictable, and uh, I found myself not particularly moved by it, not particularly um, thrilled by it. I didn't think that the mm-hmm. there are a number of sequences. It plays very episodically, right? We're on this long journey. Yes, yes, we're only going to yeah. see a few episodes. Uh, of these short short little vignettes of these different places along the journey. And uh, none of those episodes were particularly uh, thrilling. I I think there's one where we get to see sort of the power of reading the news, you know, but even that felt sort of pat and uh, uninspired. It didn't, it didn't feel like there was anything particularly clever Mm -hmm. that our main character did in in that in that sequence. Um, I do have to say, like, I think the framework of this movie, right. Of him as a newsreader, a guy who just goes around different towns and reads the news because not everybody has time to probably not everybody can read either. So like it's, it's a general benefit to society. It is an interesting movie to make right now when the news and the flow of information is defining and destroying so much of our civilization right now. So I do feel like, I almost feel like this is why Greengrass, you know, a guy known for documentaries too, is taking a liking to this and is like, oh, I can take this message and put it in a Western. I can kind of see the appeal there. But yeah, yeah I, I hear I, you I too, have more to yeah. say. I have more to say you're about saying, this topic. You're saying spoilers. Tom Hanks yeah. is, a, is a human tweet, is what you're saying. 
Uh, yeah, Tom, sure. Tom Moving Hanks from was hosting. Tom Hanks was hosting daily news podcasts before 150 exactly. years before it was cool. But yeah. I have some further thoughts on this. I think we really should talk about it in spoilers. But I have to say, I'm quite surprised, Jeff. I thought you'd be uh, a bigger fan of this film because it feels like mm-hmm. the kind of old school idealism that you are uh, generally a fan of in movies. I do enjoy that. I do enjoy a uh, a rousing appeal to our better angels. You know, our better nature. I, I do. Uh, I tend to uh, respond to that kind of thing. And I think it is, uh, you know, art that um, tries to uh, be idealistic is not necessarily a a bad thing. I I enjoy it. I found this just to be a a bit pat and um, there's just not much to sink my teeth into, honestly. I didn't think Mm. that any, any one particular facet of it was extraordinary. Um, it didn't feel particularly uh, well-directed in, in the sense that I'm like wowed by the majesty of the West. I, I wasn't, you know, impressed by the the scale and scope of this journey. I, no, it all felt kind of been there, done that, as you guys have said a bit. But I, even more, I think I feel it even more acutely than the rest of you, that it just felt like, man, I, I don't understand why we're making this. I, I wish there had been perhaps more made of reading of the news from town to town or what that meant for the people there or how that what that even was it just felt like a uh a novel uh yeah a bit of um like angle not, not, yeah. like yeah novel angle novel little factoid upon which mm-hmm. to hang this pretty conventional story and i agree the, the performances are great um especially the the young woman who is really really excellent in it in a very difficult role yeah um yep but i overall i just found it, it it's hard to recommend it's fine it's fine it delivers exactly what it intends to deliver but it just it's not extraordinary or particularly exciting and you know for 20 bucks right now i i, I just can't recommend it personally mm. all right uh i'm a little bit in between you guys i I'm, i think i liked it quite a bit more than jeff um didn't love it. Didn't love it. Uh, and I, I'll talk a little bit more in spoilers about why that's the case. But I agree with you that, you know, there's very little I disagree with all that you guys have said. There's some great performances in here. Um, I actually think it does do a great job of rendering the time. Whenever mm-hmm. I watch movies like The Revenant and this movie, News of the World, and to a lesser extent, a movie like First Cow, I always think to myself, man, it must have really sucked to live on the frontier. It must you know, be like really yeah. dirty. It just yeah. is like everything's totally. filthy. You don't have yeah, any yeah. of the common amenities that you're used to in life. Um, Dude, there's there's yeah. one shot in this movie. It, it, they're in a town, and Tom Hanks comes walking in to to talk to somebody, and the camera like it looks past him. Uh, he's in the foreground, and in the background, there's just people like ladies in nice dresses walking through like three inches of mud. And I was sure. in that moment, yeah. I was just like. God, Fuck that, dude! I just—we've <laughs> all I seen not that. Interested. Come on, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, I do think that that's one of the things that I think this movie nails is just the the feel. You know, I, I've never been back to that time before. Shockingly, you know, so I don't know like uh, what it was actually like. But it, it there is this feeling that you get when you watch westerns that not all westerns actually kind of bring to life for me, but this one does, which is the idea that like. There's all these endless possibilities in this country that that like who knows? there's all this land that is unsettled and untilled and uh, all these amazing things can come out of it. At the same time, it's also dangerous. 
it's in many ways lawless. There's stuff uh, that's out there that can that can kill you. And uh, this movie really does capture kind of the promise of America in a way that uh, I feel, you know, other Westerns don't necessarily do so. So uh, I do want to give praise to that element of the film. And I agree with you guys. The performances are great. Also, I think James Newton Howard did the score for this. Right. So uh, great score by a very talented musician. Um, So I want to talk about some of the spoiler stuff. So let's dive into spoilers for News of the World starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. I want to explore Jeff Kanata's reaction to this uh, about, like, how they're not... The movie's not saying that much, right? And... I, I think that it is trying to say stuff, mm-hmm. but it does it in a fairly weak sauce kind of way. Um, yes. And uh, here, there, there are many scenes in this movie that resonate with reality, uh, like the current reality we live in right now. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, vast swaths of America not accepting the outcome of the Civil War. I mean, we are less than three weeks away from a Confederate flag having flown in the capital of the United States of America. Yeah. Right? Like, that is a thing we are still living with to this day that we have not yet reckoned with. And we watch the people in this movie reckon with it. And uh, and and so I think, like, there's just clearly, like, a parallel between this mm-hmm. movie and what we're still experiencing. Yeah. One but town the, where, where the rich guy is, like, read my news, right? And right? Yeah. <laughs> when he doesn't, his life gets threatened. Uh, journalists are... In a lot of trouble right now. People are being killed. People are being jailed. It is not a good time to be a news person, right? So I think there are like these elements of the plot that have resonance with our current day, mm-hmm. but the the way in which it's brought to life in the film, I think it just doesn't really have teeth to it. Yeah. Uh, and the reason for that is because the problems we are dealing with right now are like far more intractable than the ones depicted in the film, right? The the one in the the guy in the film is like read my news like I control these people read my news the things we're dealing with today are like uh, literally there's people elected to Congress who believe in a vast conspiracy theory of like a global uh, like a cabal of global elites you know uh, that are like satanic yeah. pedophiles it, right? it like, is that's, more Da Vinci yeah. Code right now than News of the World. No, no, that's what we're living here to do another Hanks movie. But it's even worse than that. I think if you were to do that scene uh, in the context of today, he would start reading the news and they would say, no, the crowd would shout at him. We don't want to. That is fake news. Yes, that is not the actual truth. Only what this guy over here tells us is the truth. Right. And that's the that's the problem, I think, is that like it doesn't really offer a way of thinking about our present day issues that's useful in any way right mm-hmm. which is uh, it, it, it's, it's not just because the movie took place over a century ago doesn't mean that it has nothing to offer us today but the problems we're facing today are so tied into or like our like obviously the the politics of white supremacy that got us to this point the information ecosystem that got us to this point that the movie just doesn't have that much to say about those things in a way that resonates Drew McQueenie, curious. What do you what do you make of what I just said? Like, do you feel like this movie has something useful to offer us in present day? I, I think certainly that's in there. I think 
I'm, well, I would imagine that for Greengrass as a documentarian, as somebody who much of his approach to staging drama and shooting drama from the very beginning, from Bloody Sunday on, was informed by documentary filmmaking and the idea of trying to create a sense of reality, even when he's working in a fictional milieu. I think it's it's always been important to him. You see it throughout uh, many of his choices as a filmmaker. I think United 93 is the act of somebody who really felt like he wanted to capture mm-hmm. as close to the truth of a situation as he could and and felt a real responsibility to do that a certain way at it's a certain moment. Movie. And I and so I I think he's very aware of the weight of you know how you say something, how you frame something, how you capture something, how you tell a story. Um, I think for Hanks it may have been different, and I always it really helped me when I read um, William Goldman's book Adventures in the Screen Trade in terms of thinking about how movie stars pick things because you get to a certain level of movie star, and whether you like it or not, you just carry a weight around with you, and any pick any project you do. There's that weight that you bring to it that you can't set aside. It's just the weight of you as a movie star. And so Hanks is definitely aware of that. And I've been on sets with him and I've, I've been around and watched him work. And he's very aware of his iconic weight and also of his value as an actor. And I, I think he makes choices based on what he's going to enjoy doing or where he can find a meal in something. And here I, I'm guessing that what attracted him was the notion of those news reading scenes. Because for an actor, that's a great idea. Like you go town to town and each town, you're pick not just picking the news, but then performing the news in a way that draws people in and makes it come to life. And this is a largely non-literate society. It's a, There's a lot of people at this point who aren't reading, who haven't had a reason to get educated, um, not book educated. And so it's a valuable service. And it's a way of... Um, creating a more informed populace and hopefully picking stories that lead people towards what you see as what America could be. So there's, yes, of course there's a resonance to that. Of course there's a, and it gets to the heart of the conversation we have about news and what, and the reason people don't trust news. They, people have been told now that, Oh, all your liberal news has a bias. And of course they've been told that by news that has a bias and it it's supposed to divide you and it's supposed to push you into an information bubble and it's supposed to create teams and that team mentality. And that's an insane way to think about news. Um, and I think it's largely fictional. I don't think all news organizations do that. I think news organizations, by and large, are trying to pick news that they think is illuminating, that is important. You can't report on everything. And what you pick very much is the world you're framing and whether that's entertainment news and what you give coverage to and what you don't. And we're all guilty of giving blockbusters more oxygen than they should have at the expense of films that probably need the oxygen, but it's simply because that's what drives traffic and keeps the doors open and the lights on. And that happens in every field. And certainly in news, there is news that keeps the doors open and the lights on whether that's the news that should be reported or not, or given the weight that it is or not. And there's a movie to be made in that. And certainly, this, but there's also this totally other film that I think the author of the novel was interested in, which is the journey of Hanks and the girl and the emotional journey. And that is a totally different thing that's going on. 
and I think that, you know, clearly for Hanks and for this young actress, um, that's the meat of the film. And all this other subtext that we're talking about really isn't what's driving anything that we're watching. Yeah, I agree. It's it's interesting too. I, I would argue that the movie transitions with regard to the uh, to the news stuff. Uh, early in the movie, at the very beginning, when you see him do it, it does feel like he's reading the news. But at a certain point in the film, anytime you see it, it becomes more about storytelling than actual news yeah. disbursement. You know, it becomes, and I think it's commenting more on telling of the story and framing of a a narrative than it is about literally just like getting information to people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, the, I guess like, I think that's the that's the story choice. They're leaning into the story of this film and and really not making the subtext text in any direct way. Yeah, I guess hearing you talk about it, Drew, uh, quite eloquently. You know, uh, I I think about movies that I've seen like this that are about a journey that two people take and it changes them. Um, you brought up Searchers, uh, even more recent examples. Uh, Logan, you know, is actually very similar mm-hmm. in terms of yeah. the dynamic. Uh, the road. One of one of yeah, the road. One of my favorite movies of this type that not enough people have seen is Tommy Lee Jones's The Three Burials of Melchiades Estrada. Yeah, perfect. Wow. Uh, That's a good one. Amazing, yeah. amazing film. And and I guess as I'm reflecting on it, you know, hearing hearing you guys talk about it, I guess it's just like Hanks and and uh, uh, the uh, the girl that he's taking with him, um, Helena. Um, they're they're great together, but I just I ultimately didn't find their journey together like that compelling. I think mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. just just yeah. I, I've it seen other stories something like this. more. Like he needed his entire family wiped out or something. Like there needed <laughs> to be more pathos around him. Whereas in this movie, he's like, I left my wife behind. Yeah, his wife. And then his wife passed away. Her family died twice. That was like yeah, pretty yeah. pretty. But she can't. She can't vocalize any of that mm-hmm. you know like she talks about it when she arrives at her parents uh the place where they were murdered but like i i just think like when i when i think about those other movies compared to this one mm-hmm. this one feels a little bit more simplistic and right. you're supposed to kind of uh grasp this parallel between like both of these characters are going on this journey to like an unknown place and i guess i just ultimately didn't find those journeys like particularly compelling like mm-hmm. i didn't mm-hmm. i didn't think uh, it, it didn't feel like high emotional stakes to see what tom hanks's reaction would be right, when he got right. home you know it what almost mean? feels like yeah. this movie should have started with somebody who is an absolute like despicable asshole in a way <laughs> like truly and then you can't have tom hanks do it because he kind of did it with road to perdition even though they, they he was the noble killer there and nobody really bought what he was selling right like tom hanks can't be that guy he could barely right, do you, in cloud atlas you, yeah you need a guy to start with who's let's say unhinged like russell crowe russell crowe and, and then and then yes through the movie learns to become kinder softer gentler like a better person hinged and is the hinged, word you're looking as, for hinged i think is the term that i'm looking for correct i'm searching for it i'm trying to find it it's hinged it's right in front i of think me. maybe um, if you're if you're trying to land the the subtext to this thing then maybe at the beginning of the film he is willing to read the news the guy hands him he'll read whatever you ask him to read and he's that guy who doesn't have but then as he travels with her and she starts to pick up english and she starts to look up to him he realizes if i don't read stuff that's true and that's actually going to make things better then what am i doing and Mm -hmm. there's the way you kind of land the plane on this thing if you if you're really looking to yeah, but yeah. instead it felt like kind of the news thing and then his journey and her journey felt kind yeah. of disconnected to me. Right? He's a good guy who yeah. ends up being a good guy. 
So, you know, <laughs> yeah, kind of not. Yeah. My God, that's that shocking. What a shocking journey he takes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For yeah, Tom so, Hanks film? That's just mm. a, who would have thought? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, there's ways it could have generated some drama, and unfortunately they didn't, but it's not a bad film. I don't think any of us thought no, it was bad. No, film, it's you know? pretty, no, not pretty bad. solid. And I do want to talk about that shootout because I do think it is a very nice little setup, and I do like how it ends up being kind of a buddy thing there too where she's like even even without words she's just like hey hey i you can use this in your bullets mm-hmm. right and he just gets it and i like that is a bit of like great paul greengrass visual storytelling right there and you're and right that whole sequence. i love that you said geography earlier people yeah yeah and so you said geography earlier and the boy that's a pet yep. peeve of mine when filmmakers aren't good at that and greengrass establishes here a really clear sense of where everybody is, how it works, and why everybody's doing what they're doing. It's very smartly mm-hmm. shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent quite a bit of time Googling, can you put coins into shotgun shells? <laughs> yes. And All of a sudden, Google it. searches for that exact phrase shut up <laughs> over the past week. I read, I read some forums uh, that apparently it's possible, but that the, uh, the coins are like much lighter than what usually would go in there, and therefore... Uh, would probably the spread and the distance uh, would be far greater than you know regular uh, regular shotgun shots or whatever. Um, so the long range takedowns that Tom Hanks does in this movie <laughs> yeah. probably not exactly possible. I, d- um, I did think it was a bit far for him to use that shotgun full yeah. of change yeah. with coins know? with coins in it. Yeah. But uh, really cool. And then the, she uses it again later to defeat the guy. You know, with the thing. I'm like, wow, they're really leaning on this whole shooting coins thing but yes it does, it's, it's it does cool feel like idea. you know the setup for a batman villain called the capitalist or something yeah. you know like <laughs> you die by my money indeed indeed all right well i think that will bring us to the end of our review of news of the world not a bad film uh one that could have been better solid performances still some stuff worth recommending it mm-hmm. uh check it out it's on video on demand right now you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from Adam Warrock. Our spoiler member comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Check out his YouTube channel. Our uh, weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. And this episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Uh, stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Drew McQueenie just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Slash Filmcast. It's been a pleasure, a Drew. A genuine pleasure, gentlemen. And next week... We are going to be reviewing The White Tiger, new film on Netflix. Quite a bit of buzz around it. Very eager to discuss it with you guys. The White Tiger is going to be our review next week. Look forward to it. Thanks so much for listening. Oh, and also uh, the After Dark. After Dark, we got some conversation. I'm going to talk to Drew about Star Wars real quick. We're going to talk about, in and of itself, the Hulu show by Derek Delgadio. So uh, check that out at patreon.com. Full spoilers. spoilers. Patreon.com slash film podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Watch the